Hello there, John Cotorillo here, life coach of your listener. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Today I'll be discussing a concept that's usually referred to as the slippery slope. People often refer to this as a fallacy. I'm going to be discussing my thoughts on why it's not a fallacy and how it actually relates as much to an individual as it does to society. As usual, I will make clear that I'm not a psychologist or a mental health professional and this video is not advisory in any way. If you do have concerns about your own health, always consult with a licensed professional. But by discussing these ideas, I'm hoping to open the conversation amongst people and to learn collaboratively with you all. The idea of the slippery slope is that when we allow a particular event to happen, it will lead to another undesirable event or sequence of events happening. It's often referred to as a fallacy. People often argue that it's uh, simply catastrophizing or an exaggeration of the likelihood of particular events taking place. In reality, it's actually not a fallacy. It actually does occur, and it occurs due to the way that the mind works. It's a basic metaphysical reality that we usually can't uh, form concepts in the mind and make decisions purely in and of themselves. The phenomenon that we know as cognition requires other information in order to function. So in order to make decisions about anything from how to behave in a particular situation to what to think, we need to refer to other information. Now, while we usually won't be aware of it, when we make decisions about how to evaluate a particular uh, topic, idea, or event, we will refer to other information that relates to that in order to make, a, uh, in order to make that decision. And we'll use what we might refer to as precedents or other decisions that either ourselves or other people have already made about a particular topic. Often what we'll do, again, usually without awareness, we will try to find information on how we or somebody else has evaluated a similar situation in the past. And we will examine what the acceptable decision to make on that situation was in those contexts. And then we will use that to make the present decision. Now, when this phenomenon takes place on one occasion, the decision that we make at present may only be marginally different from the decision that was made in the past by somebody else or by ourselves, if we are indeed using that information as a standard against which to compare our own uh, present decision making. However, if we have to make similar decisions repetitively across time, it's possible that without noticing it, each time we make a decision, we are actually setting a new and slightly different precedent for what an acceptable decision is in that particular context. And so each time we make a decision, we're comparing it to what the decided acceptable decision was in the previous context. And so the standard against which we evaluate what is correct and what is incorrect or what is appropriate and what is inappropriate is constantly changing. And so across time, if we compare one particular decision to a decision that was made after numerous instances of encountering that same situation, we're likely to see significantly different decisions being made. Now, this is just as relevant for how you function within yourself as it is for how society functions as a whole. Let's take an example of how it relates to individual functioning. Let's argue that your regular exercise routine involves a particular set of exercises over a particular uh, period of time for five days a week, from Monday until Friday, and then you 
take breaks on Saturday and Sunday. Let's argue that one week you decide to rest yourself, you don't exercise on a Friday, and so you've only exercised for four days that week. And you might consider several sources of information before making that decision and several reasons why it may be acceptable to make that decision. Let's consider, for example, why it is that you exercise on five days a week. You might exercise in order to stay in shape so that you uh, maintain physical stamina, so that you maintain a particular healthy weight, so that you maintain a healthy uh, muscle mass. If you've maintained that exercise routine for a considerable period of time and you've notice that the intended effects are actualizing, that you are in shape and that you are at the physical state that you, in which you'd like to be, you might reason that if you only take off one day from that exercise routine, it shouldn't make a difference. So you may take off one day, and then you may find that at the end of the week you actually appreciated that day off, and you didn't see any difference in your physical state just by taking off one day. And so, in some subsequent weeks, you decide to take off one day and only exercise for four days out of the week. After a while, you may evaluate your exercise routine differently. You might uh, reason that because you're only exercising four days a week instead of five and you don't uh, notice any adverse effects on your physical health, you may start to reason that maybe you were being too strict with your evaluations and that other allowances might be uh, possible without negative consequence. So let's then argue in addition that you also have a particularly strict diet and that you eat according to a particular healthy meal plan then on a Saturday you're allowed to treat yourself with some uh, with some recreational eating. Let's say that based on the precedent that you've set yourself that exercising only four days a week is uh, going to be just as, uh, just as likely to maintain your desired physical state as exercising five days a week now let's argue that because you now feel that your standards were somewhat too strict, you also decide that eating uh, recreationally and eating treats on two days a week is unlikely to make a significant impact. And then you live by that standard for some time and find that it doesn't make the impact that you fear. Already you've made two changes to your personal agenda that while in and of themselves they may not affect you in the ways that you fear, you're now behaving in a way that you specifically tried to avoid by implementing particular routines with regards to your eating and your exercise. The question that now must be raised is, do you know what the limits are? Have you actually undertaken proper investigation of how lax you can be with your eating routine and your exercise routine before you start to experience adverse effects on your physical health? If all you've done is compared your present desire to the previous precedent, then you haven't set an objective standard. You're actually constantly shifting the standard, and that means that your standards of what is acceptable are constantly going to be shifting as well. Now, while we tend to characterize the slippery slope as being constituted by a series of undesirable events, I'm going to give a historical example that demonstrates how this type of cognitive tendency manifests. And this is not a series of undesirable events as such, but rather a series of desirable changes that we could infer occurred via the extrapolation that also occurs in the slippery slope. Historically, there were certain marginalized groups in certain countries that were deliberately given fewer rights than what was considered to be the majority group because they were considered to be inferior based on falsehoods about those particular groups. In the Western world, in most if not all cases, 
those groups weren't granted rights in a single action. If people from those groups were allowed to be treated poorly at first, the first move towards recognising their full humanity may have been to uh, grant them the same protection so they had the same right not to be physically abused as the majority. Then they might have had the same rights to uh, be paid equally in their jobs. Then they might have had the rights to vote, might have had the rights to own property, might have had their uh, more, a greater number of legal protections recognised. All of these changes didn't happen at once. And it's likely that people of the particular period considered what rights were appropriate for members of those groups based on what rights they already had. So, for example, in the early stages, members of the majority group might have argued, well, of course it's, of course it's wrong that they, that they should be allowed to be physically assaulted without legal repercussions. But do, we, do they really need the right to vote? And then once they were granted the right to vote, well, of course it's right that they should be able to vote, but do they really need the right to own property? And so on and so on. Now, as I said, the improvement in human rights standards for disadvantaged groups was definitely a desirable change. I wish they had have been able to enjoy all those improvements at once rather than having to wait for them to happen gradually. But this is just an example of how human thinking tends to use precedence to judge the quality of proposals. And this is the reason why phenomena such as personal discipline are so necessary. Let's take the matter of our exercise routine and our eating routine. Let's say that we know that if we only exercise four days a week, we'll be able to maintain the same state of physical health as if we were exercising five days a week. If we, in spite of this suggestion, even if we do have evidence to suggest that it's true, maintain that we exercise for five days a week without exception. What we're doing is we're protecting ourselves against the lack of observation of how we're setting the precedence in our mind. We're protecting ourselves from the psychological tendency to constantly shift the standards of what's acceptable. We're protecting ourselves from what we often don't see. So thank you again for joining me for another episode. Please write to me or comment below. I very much welcome your thoughts. Until next time. Take care.